0: Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't need, I don't need a lectern because I don't have notes. (laughs) I don't really know what I'm going to say, I do. But I'm a comedian, I don't use notes, comedians don't use notes. It's lovely to be with you everybody, hello. Great to be back at King's Arms, always a a massive pleasure. Let me deal with the t-shirt first. I'm not making a point, I'm not being ironic, it's a very simple story. My wife has been away all week, I've had to do my own washing. And I haven't. (laughs) Just be grateful that I had this, otherwise I would have been wearing a onesie. And when I say onesie, I mean no clothes at all. So uh, (laughs) praise God for that. Before we get going, I want to tell you this, I've come down, I live in Manchester, I've come down by train, this has happened to me yesterday when I came down by train, I was on a train, I don't even have been on a, a Pendolino, a Virgin train recently, but they've got those new futuristic toilets, haven't they, with the sliding doors, and if you go to the toilet on a Virgin train, there's three buttons inside the cubicle, open, close, and lock. Now... Forgive me for being prudish and non-progressive, you could probably merge the close button with the lock button. I don't think I've ever once been on a train and thought, well, I don't really want anyone to see me on the toilet, but I do enjoy an element of risk. I don't think I've ever once... If it happens, it happens. Oh, this countryside's boring, I know. I'll go and play Russian Roulette with the bogs, that's what I'll do. So this is true, this happened to me yesterday. I went to the toilet, right? I pressed open. Somebody else had only pressed close. The door goes. There's a 50-year-old businessman just sitting there like this. And I'm there. He will not make eye contact with me. And you'll be delighted to hear I've never been in this position in my life. I didn't know what to say. All I could think to say was... Do you know the way to the buffet car? (laughs) In fairness to him, he woke up, he said, Well, it's not through here. No, obviously... I can smell that, mate. Uh, Either that or the chef needs to be sacked on the spot. It's great to be it's great to be with you. I live I live in Manchester. Now people I live in Moss Side in Manchester. People say oh oh a few cheers. People often say oh that sounds a bit rough. And it was rough in the 90s, but actually there's loads of stuff going on there in Moss Side now. Loads of regeneration. We've got an Eden project. There's even you'll like this. There's even now in Moss Side a Christian bakery. And what I'm going to do before I tell you the answer, I'm going to give you three chances to guess what you might call a Christian bakery and then I'll tell you what it's actually called. So Steve Wilson, what might you call a Christian bakery? Five loaves. It's a good guess. It's not right. Who said? Someone said hot cross bun. Did they? That's a great guess. Again, not right. Any other ideas? What? What was that? I need the dough. <laughs> Haven't you just? I think you have just misquoted Jerry Maguire. If I'm telling you, that's a Cockney version of Jerry Maguire. Rise, risen, That's, that was a good suggestion. The Christian bakery in, in Moss Side is actually called Baguette Behind Me, Satan. That's the... Uh... I'll be honest, it's not popular. It's doesn't do a lot of business. That's the only lie I'll tell you this morning, my friends. I, 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 yeah, I promise that. Can I just use this water that the worship people were using? Right, I want to, uh, I've got some funny stories, hopefully, definitely stories, hopefully funny to tell you, but also I want to talk about, you know, like, God and stuff like that, things of that nature, so that's what we're going to do. That's not even open. (laughs) I don't claim to be an impressive man. What I'm going to do, I'm going to read you. First, I'm going to make a point about it. It was my wedding anniversary recently, I went to Brussels in Belgium with my wife, And we checked TripAdvisor to book a hotel. I'm so glad we did, because if you've been on TripAdvisor, it's a way of rating hotels out of five stars and writing reviews. Other people read the reviews. (laughs) There are some genuinely genuinely terrible reviews across the whole of TripAdvisor, but it would seem that Brussels in Belgium is a particular nexus for terrible reviews. I'm going to read you three. These are all genuine, genuine, all bona fide. You can check these out online later. And just to let you know, we didn't stay at any of these hotels. So you've got the review, and then the star rating, and then I'll make a point... uh, about them afterwards. So, first one, all written by ladies. First one, again, check these out online later. I imagine this one is written by a businesswoman in her late 20s, early 30s. Here we go. I was travelling alone. I checked in, and a man on the stairs offered to carry my bags. I presumed he was a porter. (laughs) It wasn't until he entered my room and suggested that we have a shower together. (laughs) That I had my doubts. (laughs) Still only doubts at this point. Still giving him the benefit, bless her. Don't put cold in first. She goes on. Suddenly, it struck me. This was no porter. Well done, Sherlock. (laughs) I alerted the concierge, who looked mortified, and went searching for the man with a fire extinguisher and some nearby cutlery. Apparently, it was the fourth time this week that something like this had happened. One star, so that's the first one, one star, slightly on the generous side, if you ask me. Second one, different lady, different hotel, same website. I unlocked the door to my bedroom to find an elderly gentleman lying on my bed Talking to a dog with no clothes on. You're absolutely right. It's not clear at this point. Which of them doesn't have the clothes on? Don't worry, she'll soon clear it up. This was unacceptable. the website specifically said no dogs. Because that's the thing to fret about at that point, isn't it? The stray pet, not Mr. Nudie Rudy. One star there as well, you won't be surprised. This is my favourite one. This is written by a lady in her 70s from Manchester, where I live. Bear in mind, she's in Brussels. (laughs) This hotel misled me into believing that it was in Paris. She's gone all that way. (laughs) (laughs) A hotel in Belgium should have a Belgian name and not a French one. (laughs) My husband was most disappointed and has since died. (laughs) Doesn't say whether it's as a result of the disappointment. (laughs) The, The weirdest bit of all, the weirdest bit of all, she goes on to say, Overall... Three stars. Three stars! (laughs) All true. The point, my friends, is this. If you read any of those reviews in isolation, would you want to go to those hotels? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Would you, Steve Wilson? No, and you're a cheapskate, but you wouldn't want to do it, would you? And the fact is, my friends, we wouldn't want to do it because the way the human mind works, we tend to believe the first thing we hear about any one thing. We tend to believe, like if you see two comedians doing the same joke, because of the way your mind works, you will believe that the second person you saw stole it from the first person. That's just how the mind works, but that, that's not true, that's not, that's not how it works, you see. And it's the same, it's the same with Christianity and with Jesus, right? There's a lot of people here, I think, who've been given one-star reviews, they've been told one-star reviews about Jesus, and they've decided to believe them. And it's the same for me. Like, I grew up in a really kind of split house. My mum's a massive Christian, my dad not so much. My dad is a Christian in the same way that David Cameron is a Christian. He believes in British values, you see. So when when I was five years old or six years old... I had a really bad, nervous twitch, massively nervous twitch. And I was at school and Mrs. Jones, my infant school teacher, shouted at me one day. She said, will you stop shaking your head? And I remember it. She said it exactly like that. It was really painful. And I went home and said, mum, I can't deal with this anymore. I don't want to have a twitch anymore. Please, what am I going to do about it? And she said, well, let me pray for you. She's a massive Christian, you see. What I, say, I mean, she's, she massively believes it. Not She's not. <laughs> I wouldn't be kind, would it? So she prays for me, and I say, Mum, I feel really dizzy. What's going on? She says, that's the Holy Spirit. And the twitch went, and it never came back, and I'm glad it's gone, and <laughs> never had it again. That, well, that's fine. That, yeah. The problem is, that on the other side, I had my, the paternal side of my family saying, yes. So I believed on one hand that Jesus was real, and he loved, and he healed. That was great. But also, I was told by my dad that, you know, what is important in life is to... It's to get yourself a good job. You go through university, you get yourself a good job, you get yourself a mortgage, you look after yourself, you look after your family, and you don't let yourself be embarrassed or put to shame. And that isn't in the Bible. It couldn't be further from what is in the Bible. It, comfort is not in the Bible. Jesus is about self-sacrifice. So I had these two kind of different views about, about Jesus. And, and the question is, like, if you have been misled, and I think some of you have, if you've been given a one-star review about Jesus, I want to tell you that it's better than you think. He's better than you think. And I want to argue for that this morning and it's not your fault that you've been misled that's the responsibility of the people who misled you what is your responsibility is if you hear contradicting information now what are you going to do with that a lot of my friends a lot of my friends are, are, are humanists they're, they're sort of you know humanism is just it's like it's atheism with a smile it's you know the, <laughs> the idea that the, there is there is no i mean humanism is lovely i love it it's all good it's all good but they believe that there's no God, but still humans are important, and life is about human flourishing. If we work for human flourishing, we do what we want, we do what makes us happy, that's good. And that is, that's not a bad thing. But my humanist friends, interestingly, they're humanists, not because they believe that humanism is actually true. They don't have necessarily intellectual reasons for believing that it's true, but simply because they've rejected Christianity. They've rejected something they've heard and they didn't like about, about Jesus. And I'll admit that Christianity does seem ridiculous, that God would turn up in human history, die and rise again, and that through that, we would be able to know him. Of course, it sounds absolutely binky bonkers. But life is ridiculous. People are ridiculous, right? Every worldview ends up at something that's ridiculous. If you look at the two options scientifically of how the universe was created, it was either created by something outside itself, something we might call God or a creator, or it created itself out of nothing. And we know from the sound of music, Julie Andrews told us that nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. She's told us that. (laughs) And she's practically perfect in every way. <laughs> but the fact is that whichever, whichever view that you hold, whether a creator or, you know, spontaneous combustion from nothing or creation from nothing, they both sound absolutely mad. And life is mad. Life is bonkers. People are bonkers. I was doing a gig in Brighton recently. A woman comes up to you, the, the poshest woman I've ever met. She says, Andy, could I just interject? Can I just say that is the second most I've ever laughed in my entire life? I said, that's very kind of you. Can I can I said, can I ask what was the first? She said, Oh yes, yes. When I was seven years old, I saw a donkey fall off a bridge. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> he didn't even know there was a river there. Off he went. Never saw him again. It was okay, daddy had three others, it wasn't a problem. <clears throat> life life is ridiculous. And so some of the answers might seem ridiculous. The the, the question is, what's true, isn't it? What's true? The biggest myth, I think, in this country about Christianity that you will have had conveyed to you at some point is the idea that God is an angry God. He's distant. He's sitting on a cloud. He's a magic sky cloud. And he's angry with you, my friends. He's angry because you keep doing all these sins. And nobody really explains what sins are. But sins are just things that make God angry. And the more sins you do, the more angry God gets with you. And sins can be anything. You know, it's like not eating your greens or murder. There's probably stuff in between as well those are the main two I think really <laughs> if I believe my dad those are the main two <laughs> and, and and the way to stop God being angry there's only one way to stop God being angry and that's to stop doing all these sins and until you stop doing these sins God will continue be, to be angry and if you don't change your behavior he'll be so angry that he will ultimately punish you we've had that conveyed to us at some point in our lives I think and do you know what if that's true then the people here who don't know God and who reject God you rightly reject him Because a powerful being saying to less powerful beings, do exactly as I say at all times for no reason other than I say it, or I'll punish you, that's bullying. That's abuse. It's child abuse. If that's true, if that's what Christianity is, if that's what God is, you rightly reject him and so should all the Christians here. We should pack up, we should turn this back into a crayon factory, and we should just... (laughs) And we should just go and do something else. But it's not true. That's not what the Bible says. What the Bible tells us about God repeatedly is that he is a father and he is love. He's a loving father and he can't go against his own nature. He can't do anything but love us. Whatever you think about God, whatever you think that he thinks about you, he can't do anything but love you. And you might be far from him, but he still loves you because he's a father. Let me give you an example of my own life, and let's see if it helps to uh, elucidate it. I've got, I've got uh, two girls. I've got a daughter called uh, Alice, and she's four, and she just started school. I'm delighted she just started school because what it means now is that she wears a uniform. And this is great for me because it means that now she's not at nursery. So now when it's my day to dress her, I don't have to guess what a little girl wears. <laughs> Because I don't know what a little girl wears. I was barely ever one myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a week in 1986 where I was confused, let's say. But, <laughs> but like for a mum, mums are brilliant. For a mum, the system, the format for getting a child changed is what is weather appropriate and color coded. That's how mums dress. <laughs> the, the rule for a dad dressing a small child is what are the first three things I pull out of the drawer? Right? <laughs> She hated me taking her to nursery. Daddy, I don't want to wear a swimming costume. Well, don't worry. First of all, I can't hear you from beneath that gas mask. But secondly, don't worry. We'll put this ski suit over the top. No one will know. You might suffocate, but don't worry. So anyway, she started going to school. She's had two weeks at school. She came home Thursday night, week one. She said, Daddy, I'm really enjoying school. And tomorrow at school is pirate day. I've got to dress as a pirate. You have as well daddy it 's a fancy dress competition. I was so moved. I thought this is a brilliant school to center to i 'm so happy that they would end a really traumatic week with a celebration of people can dress up and this was great. And the problem is i didn 't have any pirate clothing but i didn 't want to be I was determined not to be the only parent turning up as a flaming landlubber i wasn 't going to let that happen i didn 't want to let my daughter down. so I stayed up till four am making myself a pirate costume. I made a cutlass out of cardboard, a bicorn hat out of felt, I had an eye patch, I got a leather jacket from Primark that cost me two quid, cut the arms off, made this weird kind of waistcoat. I looked in the mirror at 4 a.m. with my costume and my cutlass, I looked amazing. I also looked like what would have happened if the village people had brought on a sub. I looked a little bit like that. (laughs) In the morning, Alice got up dressed as a pirate. I'm dressed as a pirate. She said, Daddy, will you paint my face like a pirate? Of course I will. I love you. Daddy, will you paint your face as well? Yes, like a pirate. No, like a clown. Can't I just be a pirate? Please, Daddy! I can't deal with the decibels, so I just did it. I painted my own face like a clown. And it was brilliant. What a privilege to stand there as a dad with my little girl, both dressed as pirates, about to take her to school, knowing that she's proud of me, that we're really going to enamor ourselves of the the other parents there, we're going to bond with them, the school are going to be impressed because we're really taking it seriously. I thought, this is fantastic. What a joy. And then... It wasn't pirate day. (laughs) because she'd made the whole thing up. (laughs) Just totally invented it. And it's not her fault, she's four, that's what four-year-olds do. They use their imagination. It was my fault. I should have known it wasn't Pirate Day. If I thought about it for one minute, I would have known it wasn't Pirate Day because it's never Pirate Day. Because, my friends, we live in Moss Side in Manchester. It is a largely Somali area. It's never Pirate Day. If it had been Pirate Day, everybody here would have heard about it because it would have been on Sky News. It's as simple as that. A comedian was arrested today. This was fine for one member of our family because she got to go to school dressed as a pirate. It's what she planned the whole time. She essentially won a fancy dress competition of which she was both the founder and the only contestant, right? <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I had to take my daughter to school surrounded by the parents I'm now going to see for six years, <laughs> dressed literally like a man who's been kicked out of the circus and turned to smuggling to make ends meet. <laughs> not even Marvel would make that. That's not a backstory. What made it worse, I turned... I t- I turn up at school. I'm trying to leave. Very difficult to be discreet about these things. I try to leave. Debbie, the receptionist, wants to talk to me. She said, is it Mr. Kind? No, I said. I thought, if I can just get away, I'll wash my face, it'll be absolutely fine. said, is he Mr. Kind? I realised at this point that I needed to acknowledge who I was. Because, my friends, if there is anything worse than finding yourself in a primary school as a clown-faced pirate, if there is anything worse than that, it's denying you have any reason to be there. <laughs> I'm just browsing, thank you, Debbie. I'll, uh, i I just come to use the hopscotch. <laughs> See you Monday. <laughs> she, she comes up to me, she says, Mr Khan, I need to talk to you. You've, you've given me Alice's form. You've missed out, you've missed out two things uh, on the form of information. First of all, uh, you've missed out your uh, address. She looked at me, she said, Shall I just put the Caribbean? <laughs> no. Nope. No, you won't. <clears throat> She said, "I said, put Seventy Thornton Road, Manchester." She said, "Next, you've missed out religion. You haven't written religion." I said, "That's right. I've done that deliberately." She said, "Well, what religion is she?" I said, "Well, she's four, Debbie." Debbie said, "Oh, really? Which four? "No, not four religions. <laughs> it's not the countdown numbers game of spirituality. Uh, one for monotheism, Rachel, and any other three. Thanks very much." I said, "I said she's four years old. She's four. She doesn't have a religion." And Debbie said, well, I need, to give, I need you to give me a religion. She she read me a list. She read me this ridiculous list, all these possible religions. One of them was Protestant. How can a four-year-old be Protestant? <laughs> yeah, put Protestant. Yeah, she's a massive fan of the Reformation, always has been, Debbie, yeah. <laughs> oh, she, she won't shut up about it. Martin Luther this, <laughs> Sola Scriptura that, yeah. You'll know she's done her homework, Debbie. She'll just nail it to the front of the school. Yeah, you'll... Uh... <laughs> I said, Debbie, she she doesn't have a religion. I'm a Christian. If you need to put Christianity, that's fine. But she she doesn't have a religion. The point is, in this situation, my friends, as the father, my my child in this situation, do you remember what we were talking about, about God being a father, about half an hour ago? As a father in that situation, my daughter has behaved, my child has behaved deliberately badly. Her behavior has been terrible. She's not a Christian. So what do I do in this situation? Do I punish her? Do I tell her unless she changes her behavior, I'm going to be really angry with her? Of course I don't. I do what a dad does, I love her. I might set consequences which, whereby we can't have any pirate memorabilia in the house anymore. <laughs> I might set a boundary, but I love her because I can't help but love her, because I'm her dad. And I don't love her because of what she's done, I love her because of who she is, and because of who I am as her dad. And this is the same for you, if you've got this mentality, if you've got this belief that God is angry with you, or the Christians have told you that God's angry with you, it's not true. He loves you. He grieves that he doesn't know you at the moment, or you don't know him. He just loves you. He totally loves you. The Bible says that God first loved us. He's not waiting for us to do anything before he loves us. It's it's just totally incontrovertible. He, he, He loves us. The Bible also says, while we were still far off, Christ died for us. That's an act of love. It's not an act of petulance from a magic sky clown. And at this point, you might be thinking, well, that's Andy, Andy, thank you very much. We really appreciate you saying that. Thank you for showing us that Christianity doesn't believe in an angry God. But I still don't believe that Christianity is true. I don't have any reason to, to, to believe it. And Andy, you've made a very good point, and I'm, I'm going to touch on that when I've uh, had another sip. Don't worry. Yeah. So, I was at this, I um, was at my aunt's funeral. My aunt died recently. And uh, she'd been ill for a long time, and uh, so she had a funeral. It was a humanist funeral, and it was lovely and beautiful. Interestingly, my, my aunt was a humanist because she didn't believe that the pain she'd gone through uh, could be the result of a loving God. She never really accepted that God might be with her in, in the pain. So she was a humanist, and it was a lovely service. It was really good. But at the end of the service, something really interesting happened. The, the celebrant said, and Leslie, we just commit you back now to the earth. We give you back to the star maker you are now reunited with your loved ones. And I just thought, hang on, you don't believe that. It's a, lovely, it's a lovely thought, but you don't believe that. Humanism is a fantastic thing to believe, but actually the reality is, if you believe that there is no God, whether you call yourself a humanist or a nihilist, then when somebody dies, that is it. They are gone. They are not reunited with their relatives and their loved ones, they're not. They and their loved ones have been obliterated into nothing. They've been annihilated. And it might be true, but that let's, let's at least commit to that being true. And they're not up there somewhere looking down on us. And we say things like, RIP, rest in peace, and sleep well. You see that on Facebook a lot, sleep well. I'm sorry, it's lovely, but they're not resting, they're not sleeping. They've ceased to exist, they don't exist. And the best we can say is that they live on in our hearts and our thoughts. And that, that's the best. And that it might be true, but... Surely there's, there's more than that. The, the problem is, again, I, I, my humanist friends are, are, are lovely and, and I love them, but it's very easy to be a humanist in the UK because most of us, like if you're under 30 here, you've probably got 50 years left of having quite a nice life. You're not going to be beheaded by ISIS. You're not going to die in an earthquake. You're not going to die of an incurable disease, or an easily curable disease, rather. You might die of an incurable disease. You've got 50 years of having a nice time. You've probably got friends and, and, and a house. And that's great. So when humanism talks about life is about giving life meaning, that's the meaning of life, to give life meaning. Hashtag YOLO, you only live once, do what makes you happy. These are all good things. And it works here, but the problem is for for most people who are alive today and who have ever lived, it doesn't preach, it doesn't work. Humanism, what about Syria now, with all the bombs and all the people dying? Who's going around in Aleppo saying, oh, the meaning of life is to give life meaning? Nobody. Because it doesn't work, it doesn't It doesn't preach. What about little kids who die before the age of five? What does Yolo do for them? It doesn't do anything. What humanity needs, humanism is supposed to be about humanity, but what what humanity needs is, is not humanism. What humanity needs, if possible, is a God who shows up. There's a God who does something, and what you might say at this point is, you might say, and people, my friends will sometimes say, yes, okay, well, I don't believe, I don't believe there's nothing. I do believe that there's a God, but I believe that He's bigger than any religion. He's just big. Maybe He's like a river, and He, or like a roaring lion, and He's lovely, and He's just big, and we can't possibly understand Him, but He's, but He's big, and He's lovely. And again, that's, that's a great thought, and it might be true, and I hope it is. But it's obviously not true. It can't be true. Because this massive God of love, who's bigger than any religion, who loves you so much, hasn't actually done anything to tell you that. He hasn't shown up. Where's the evidence for that? It's just what you think about him. Well, it might be wrong. It's, that's not a God of love. That's a God of apathy. A God of kind of fuzzy love, who doesn't do anything. What we need, my friends, if possible, is a God who actually shows up. And this, I think, is where Christianity stops seeming ridiculous and starts making sense. Because the story of Christianity is God showing up. When Jesus was born, he shows up amongst humanity. When Jesus died, that was God saying, I know what it's like to experience pain. I know what it's like to suffer. I get it. And when Jesus rose from the dead, that is God telling YOLO to do one. That is is God... That is God saying to death, which otherwise gets to win. For most, like, if you don't believe in God, then really, if, if you don't live in this country, life is just a series of hardships followed by extinction. Death wins. But when Jesus rose again, he's saying to death, you don't get to win, my friend. You don't get to have the final say. Yes. Let me tell you about a friend of mine from, from our church in Manchester. She's called Fatima, an Iranian lady. She came over as a refugee with her family. And as uh, soon as she came over here, she was diagnosed uh, with cancer, inoperable cancer. I mean, Carrie was talking about cancer-going, and Fatima came over, diagnosed with inoperable cancer. There was nothing that they, they could do. Welcome to the UK. A few days later, she had a dream, or shortly after she had a dream, where a man she didn't know... Again, she's, not, she's from Iran. She's not from a Christian background. She, she'd never heard of Jesus, never heard about him. In this dream, a man she didn't know... And he, he might have been a hipster, for all, for all she knew. A massive beard. could have been one of the Bee Gees. Who knows? This man she didn't know turned up in a dream, went over to her, put his hands on her head and said, your cancer's gone. And she said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. Oh. And that's a rubbish story if she goes to the hospital and she's still got cancer. But she doesn't. She goes to the hospital, he's gone. It's totally wow. gone. <laughs> this inoperable cancer that they couldn't touch and was going to kill her had gone. God showed up. And bear in mind, she didn't know God. She'd never heard about Jesus. He wasn't waiting for her. He showed up. Why? The question is for us. Let me give you another example. A friend of mine was out in India where there wasn't any healthcare. They were They were in a town. They were doing some missionary work. They were praying for people. This one guy came up with an empty eye socket, and they prayed for the eye, and it grew back in front of them. Wow. Now, the thing is, my friends, that this is happening. This is happening. It's happening a lot, and it's particularly happening amongst the refugee community. If you go wherever you go in the country, churches are full of Iranians, and that's brilliant. Isn't that brilliant? They're full of refugees. The question is, why? Why is that happening? Why is God not ministering to my you know, white middle-class friends from school and university? Why aren't they experiencing God? And I don't know. You know I know that across the, the Muslim world, like Jesus is appearing to Muslims in visions and dreams, and it's freaking them out because they've been given a one story reju- uh, review about Jesus. They've been led to believe that he's not the Messiah, and he's turning up and he's, and he's appearing to them, and he's, he's telling them stuff about themselves. And I can't deny that. What I can ask is, why? What's this going on? What's the, what's the pattern, Lord? What's the pattern, God? And I don't know. I don't know why my uh, white middle class non-Christian friends aren't experiencing Jesus. But what I think I do know is that actually with the refugees, they've got nothing else. They've, they're at the end of themselves. They absolutely need God and they know it. Whether they know who he is, they know they need him. And that's where he can come in. The problem with me, the problem with us, is comfort. We surround ourselves with comfort. These refugees, most of them have lost relatives in, 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 in trouble, in persecution. They're coming over. People are dying. They're dying on the way. They're dying over there. They've got nothing else but God. For me, if something goes bad in my life, I've got other places to go. I've got Netflix and Amazon Prime. <laughs> I can hunker down with Parks and Rec for a couple of days and hope that the pain goes away. And I'm surrounding myself by comfort. And God, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. God doesn't say, don't be comfortable. What God says is, let me be the comforter. And if you surround yourselves with comfort, then you're not really letting him in, are you? But the problem is, my friends, that at some point in all of our lives, we get to a point where the comfort we've surrounded ourselves with doesn't work. It doesn't cut it anymore. It doesn't protect us. Let me give you an example from my life of where I just realized that I had nothing left. So it's a happy ending to this story, so don't, don't feel fearful. Um, We've got another daughter uh, as well now, we've got a a daughter, she's only eight months old, she's called Heidi, nice name isn't it Heidi, comes from the German word Adelheid, which uh, translates roughly into English as uh, not the son I was hoping for, that's the uh, sort of, (laughs) I'm only joking, I'm sure I will grow to like her over time, Uh... (laughs) I mean she's definitely mine, we've got the same hairline, so... uh... Although, judging by that system, Steve Wilson is also definitely mine. So uh, (laughs) maybe I need a different technique. Anyway, so when Heidi was born, there were no doctors there. There were no midwives. It was just me. I had to deliver Heidi myself. And as you may have guessed, I am not a trained medical professional. It took me 23 years to work out that C-section wasn't the name of the rapper who delivered me, right? (laughs) I was born in a very hip-hop area, I'll let you know. <laughs> anyway, so we know we're about to have a baby. So what we do is, I mean, bear in mind, we'd wanted to have a home birth. We had planned to have a home birth. My wife wanted to have a home birth. I agreed with that. I affirmed the idea of a home birth. Because after all, when else is your wife going to let you have a paddling pool up in the living room? I mean, it's not going to happen, <laughs> is it? But we've seen Call the Midwife. And when, when on Call the Midwife, when they're about to have a baby, they call the midwife. And the midwives actually turn up. Well, not in our life, they didn't. The problem is not the NHS. The NHS are fantastic, they do an amazing job. The problem was the length of time it took Heidi to get from inside my wife to outside my wife. I know this is technical terminology for you, Steve. Heidi's labour, our first girl, 24 hours of labour. 36 hours is not uncommon. Heidi's labour, at a conservative estimate, lasted 45 minutes. (laughs) From start to finish, 45 minutes. I mean, it almost took longer to make her in the first place, if I'm totally honest. (laughs) That may not be true. (laughs) I said, I've told one lie, I can't do it, I can't do it. (laughs) So we we realise we're about to have a baby, so I ring St Mary's Hospital in Manchester, I speak to the chief midwife, I say, please, I'm really panicking, we're about to have a baby, she's on her way, send a doctor, send a midwife, send a wizard, send somebody more capable than me. (laughs) The midwife said, Mr. Kind, just to let you know, the midwives are on their way, but I don't think they're going to be there in time because they're stuck in traffic. Right, I said, said, it's understandable, isn't it? But it's a shame, isn't it? It's 2016, there's never been a vehicle invented that could get trained medical professionals from a hospital to an emergency environment without getting caught in traffic. Might I suggest that you invent such a machine? Perhaps a van-like contraption with a sound and light show on it, or something like that? (laughs) She, she She bristled at this point, she said, I know you mean an ambulance. Oh, do you, Columbo? Well, congratulations. You've cracked that code, have you? I said, send one of those magic ambulances. She said, look, we're sending four midwives. That's the best we can do. But we've run out of ambulances, and so they're in a minibus. <laughs> what? They're in a minibus? What, are they on the way to Thorpe Park or something? Is it midwives on tour? Aye, aye. What happens in midwifery stays in midwifery. <laughs> right, guys? She said, just, she puts the phone down. I'm absolutely panicking at this point. I look at my wife, I say, they're not coming. What are we gonna do, they're not coming. I don't know how to deliver a baby. What are we gonna do, they're not coming. My wife, absolute legend, she stayed so calm. She said, honey, look at me, stop crying. <laughs> Remember the breathing, breathe, <laughs> breathe, breathe. I'm here with you, breathe. She said, listen, we can't control what's outside of our control. If there's no doctors coming, that's not our fault. We've just got to take ownership over the situation. My husband, I love you, and I know you're totally incompetent. But listen to me. If there's there's no midwives here, it's very simple. You are going to have to help me deliver this baby. And I said, no. (laughs) I said, no, I don't want to. You can't make me. Leave me alone. You're not my real dad. I was panicking at this point. I had no idea what was going on. But my wife and I are both Christians, and so she challenged me with that one phrase that any Christian is allowed to use to challenge any other Christian at any other point. She looked at me, she said, Honey, think about this. What would Jesus do? <laughs> I said, in <"Flipping> neck." <laughs> I said, You know what? You've got me. You're absolutely right. What would Jesus do? Uh, so I pretended to be dead and hid in a cave for three days. <laughs> That may not be my theological stance on the issue, Simon. It is my favourite joke, though. At this point, I say, you know what, let's do it then, let's just do it, let's have a baby, how do I help you? She says, use the TENS machine. You know what the TENS machine is? You get these pads, put them on the mum's back, it delivers little shocks into the nervous system, that's supposed to even out the pain of the labour, but that just seems totally ridiculous. I'm in so much pain from this childbirth. Tell me how to help you. Electrocute me, of course, you fool. (laughs) Give me more pain, I am woman, bring it on! <laughs> at this point, Alice, she's not dressed as a pirate at this point, she wakes up, it's 1.30 a.m., she's been asleep upstairs, she wakes up, she comes downstairs, not only does she come downstairs, but she's changed out of her pepper Pig pyjamas, and she's changed into her little $7.99 mother care nurse's outfit. <laughs> and she stands in the doorway like this with a pigeon-toed stand, she says, Daddy, I am here, may I help? <laughs> say, so oh, bless you, no, you can't help, it's 1.30 a.m., you're three years old, go back to bed. And then I realised, my friends, that ironically, by wearing this mother care nurse's outfit, she was actually the most highly qualified medical professional <laughs> on the premises. Please, Alice, you're up, take over. <laughs> High five, once more, onto the breach, as they never say in this context. It's a happy ending to this story, my friends, I told you it was. A few minutes later, Heidi... Appeared. She bungee jumped into the plunge pool. I'd turned off Netflix by this point. It was very distracting. Uh, The beers were back in the fridge. And uh, I got in the pool with my wife, and Heidi was... Alice stood to the side, and Heidi was beautiful and disgusting, but amazing. And it was just... It was a miracle. I was so grateful to God. One hour later, four midwives turn up. One hour later, they turn up with candy floss and pictures of themselves on the log flumes. I mean, they... (laughs) They've had a cracking day out, I'm not denying that. Doesn't help me. The doorbell goes at 2.30 AM. Alice, my little girl. Says, I'll get it, I promise you this is true. I didn't even know she knew the terminology she was about to use. She goes to the front door. She's just about tall enough to reach the door handle. She turns the door handle, pulls the door back. There's these four very anxious-looking midwives staring down at her. My little three-year-old girl with a pigeon-toed stance, her mother-care nurse's outfit, a little plastic stethoscope around her neck. She faces down these four midwives, and she just says very calmly, My work here is done. And then just as calmly goes back to bed. (laughs) Uh, She's on nights, you see, so she needs to... uh... (laughs) I've got a final point to make. We're pretty much at the end now. The point is this. What are you going to do when life really hits you? What are you going to do? And knowing that it will at some point, what are you going to do about it now? In the book of John... John 16, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm telling you these things so that you can have peace in me. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And if that's true, my friends, do you know what that means? If that's true, what it means is that your depression, your fear, your anxiety, your stress, your addiction, whatever it is, doesn't get to win it doesn't get to win it can do one it doesn't get to have the final say if it's true life is no longer about a series of unfortunate events that lead to extinction if Jesus is real and there are people here lots of us who, who know that he is Fatima didn't even know him and he turned up he showed up Jesus shows up if you ask him he shows up and when he says in this world you will have trouble take heart I will overcome the world I have overcome the world What Jesus is is acknowledging that life is really hard. Christianity is not about everything being great. Life is really hard for some of you. It is really hard. Some of you are trapped in porn addiction. Some of you are trapped in perfectionism. Some of you are just so low. But it doesn't get to win. It doesn't get to kill you as it otherwise would. Your depression is killing you. addiction is killing you. But it doesn't get to because of him and only because of him. Look anywhere you like. Look anywhere you like. Look at any other world view. Guys, no one else is coming for us. No one else has offered to help. No one else is coming. It's just him. And he's not waiting for you to be a good person. He's not waiting for you to change your life around, to get a few things sorted out. He's not asking you to intellectualize everything. He stands at the door and knocks. And when you open the door, he's not going to say, you've been a very bad person. You've misbehaved. Do you know what he's going to say? He's going to say the work's already done. John 10, chapter 10. Jesus says, The thief comes to steal and destroy. I have come so that you can have life and have it in its fullness, have it in abundance. Some of you are being destroyed. Your life and your joy has been stolen from you. You're being killed. Don't let it win. If you give Jesus your fear... If you give him your pain, if you give him your stress, if you give him your anxiety, your depression, your addiction, he will take it. He will take it and he'll replace it with love and joy and hope and forgiveness and healing and freedom. Guys, there's freedom here if you want it. He stands at the door and knocks. Are you going to let him in? Are you going to give him what you need to give him? Are you going to take the freedom, the forgiveness, the healing, the joy, the hope, the love, the grace? Are you going to take it? He's there. Give him what's killing you and take fullness of life in its place. It's just totally worth it. Five stars.